Hi friends, it is Hannah here. We are back a whole lot sooner than expected with this podcast. The reason for that is straight after we finished season one, we started getting a whole bunch of questions about a few specific topics. So I get asked about elective egg freezing a lot. I get asked about fertility and subfertility quite a lot. And so we just thought we would do a quick mini series, five or so episodes, just to cover some of these frequently asked questions. Now, fertility as a kind of umbrella term is a really huge area of medicine, of research and of health in general. So naturally, these five episodes probably won't cover absolutely everything, but I hope that it scratches the surface and answers some of the more frequently asked questions. So I'm really stoked today to be joined by Dr. Alex Polyakov from Melbourne IVF. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And can I ask if you do feel so inclined, if you could jump on the podcast app and give us a five-star review plus or minus some kind words because we always appreciate those too thanks so much guys enjoy Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Alex Polyakov, who is uh, the clinical director at Melbourne IVF at the Royal Women's Hospital and also a clinical senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne. He's joining us today to talk about the very, very popular topic of elective egg freezing. So welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Good evening. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So we had a whole bunch of questions sent in via my little Instagram page about this topic. It's something that a lot of people seem to be quite interested in. And I was just wondering, to go right back to the start, how did elective egg freezing kind of come about? Sure. Initially, there was a lot of work done on freezing embryos because obviously in the process of IVF, very, very often we have more than one embryo. And so initial technique was developed to freeze excessive embryos from a stimulated cycle. And then people decided to look at freezing eggs before they get fertilized. So before they become embryos, people decided to have a look and see if they could freeze eggs. Now, the problem with freezing eggs is that a human egg is actually their biggest cell in a human body. And it's it's like a balloon filled with water. And as we all know, what happens with water when it gets frozen, it actually expands. And so the initial problems were because the cell itself is so big, when we freeze it, there is a very high chance that it will just rupture because of the expansion of of water when it becomes ice. And so various techniques called slow freezing were developed where uh, the water inside the cell was replaced by other compounds that don't expand. And then when you thaw an egg, you replace those compounds with water and the eggs get thawed. Uh, and it was called slow freezing because it took quite a while for the water to be replaced inside the cell. And initially it was used in cases where we couldn't freeze embryos. For example, women who required chemotherapy usually are at risk of damage to the ovaries. So various regimes of chemotherapy, especially in the olden days when chemotherapy was quite brutal, those regimes would usually damage ovaries to the point where young women who had chemotherapy may become menopausal following that treatment. 
And so a field of oncofertility developed where we did what's called medical fertility preservation. So those women would get diagnosed with cancer and then they would come to us and we would try to preserve their fertility in some fashion. And a lot of those women were quite young and often didn't have a stable partner. And so the only option for them was to freeze eggs. And that's how it all started. So for many, many years, that was really the only indication because egg freezing was an experimental procedure. It wasn't widespread. We were the only unit in Melbourne for a while that did this. And we were at the forefront of, of research and developing the protocols for freezing eggs. But initially, it was mostly under those circumstances where women coming in where they needed urgent fertility preservation and we only have one, two or three weeks before they have to start chemotherapy, which usually damage their ovaries beyond repair. And more and more centers around the world started to develop this technique for those women. <clears throat> and a few years back, a new and novel freezing technique was introduced. It's called vitrification. So instead of replacing the inside of an egg with compounds that don't expand, it was found that if you freeze an egg extremely rapidly, if you just plunge it into liquid nitrogen very, very quickly, the water crystals don't have time to, to form a lattice, to expand. And so the egg is frozen, but the, the water inside doesn't seem to expand. And that was initially developed once again for embryos, but then it was tried on eggs and it seems to work much better. It actually is a much better technique for, for freezing eggs because a lot more of them survive intact. And so a few years ago, all the societies like American Society of Reproductive Medicine decided that this, this new technology is sort of ready for prime time. It is ready to be used by wider population. And so they removed the experimental label from it and essentially said that this could be used for fertility preservation in the setting of cancer or imminent loss of fertility, but also for women who may want to delay childbearing. And that's what it's used at the moment primarily. We still see a lot of women with cancer before they have their treatment. Uh, but that has become a smaller part of our practice. Much larger part now is fertility preservation for what's called social reasons. So women in the late 20s, early 30s, late 30s coming in, they may not have a partner, but they want to have children in the future. And, you know, biological clock is ticking. And one of the options available is to go through an IVF cycle collect eggs and then freeze them. And one of the advantages of this is that, as we all know, the chance of falling pregnant depends very much on the female age. Yes. And that is true with natural conception as well as IVF. And so if someone comes to see me and they are 32 years old, I can almost guarantee them that they will have a baby, barring them being in premature ovarian failure or something along those lines. Uh, but at 42, it's not quite the same. At 42, the chances of success 
either naturally or with IVF are actually quite low. They're not zero, but they're much less. And yeah. so what we found is that when you freeze eggs, the chance of pregnancy relates to the age at which the eggs were frozen. So as an example, someone at 32 freezing their eggs and then coming back at 42, their chance of having a baby from those frozen eggs is like someone who is 32 rather than their chronological age. And so that's, yeah. that's the trick. So we're trying to store eggs before their quality deteriorates. Absolutely. Right. That's really interesting to know, I guess, the history of it and how it's all come about. I guess through, again, the Instagram page where I receive all these questions, um, it seems to be a common question. What, you know, what does the process actually involve? And most of the women, I think, are accessing it for social reasons rather than as cancer patients, of course. Um, so what would they expect to go through if they do decide to do elective egg freezing? Sure. So the first step is to see a fertility specialist. And we usually discuss past medical history, any problems, et cetera, et cetera, the usual appointment. And then I would order a number of tests. So first of all, I would look at the hormone profile, all the hormone levels. I would look and it's very important to look at the ovarian reserve. There are a number of tests that can be done to assess essentially how many eggs are left or how many eggs can we expect to get from a cycle of IVF. And there is a blood test called AMH and there is an ultrasound technique called antral follicle count where uh, we can determine reasonably accurately what to expect from an IVF cycle. And so that's the first step. You see a fertility specialist, you have those investigations, and then you would usually come back for another chat to look at the results and say, look, you know, if you did a cycle of egg freezing, you would expect this many eggs. And I have a little calculator, which we've built with one of my colleagues, where we put in someone's age and how many eggs we freeze, and it spits out the chance of having a baby. Oh, wow. And so I would use that and I would say, look, you know, your ovarian reserve is good. We're expecting 10 to 20 eggs from one cycle. If you did that and you froze them in however many years' time, your chance of having a baby would be whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so the actual process starts with that. But then if someone decides to proceed, then they go and they have to have a number of appointments or at least that's how it works in, in my clinic, in our clinic at Melbourne IVF, uh, they would have counseling because there are some implications to storing eggs. Uh, they would have an appointment with a nurse who would teach them how to use the medications because you have to use them at home yourself. And there will be a general appointment with one of the admin people to talk about the costs. And once all those things are done, uh, a cycle can start. and all IVF cycles essentially start on day one of your period. So day one is when the bleeding starts. That's the first day of menses. And you would be, well, the, the patient would be instructed to call our number, our Melbourne IVF number, and report day one. And so they would do that, and they would be invited to come in. They would see a nurse again who would go through the medications with them again, and they would collect their drugs. And the drugs, they, they are usually injections, which you administer yourself. 
they are really easy to administer. They're like diabetic pens. So you dial the dose and you sort of inject it yourself. It's really very, very easy. People often get worried about it, but it's really not a big deal. And so they would start those injections on day two to three of their cycle. Now, remember that day one is always the first day of the period. And they would continue for a few days, usually six to seven days. And then they would come in and see me for an ultrasound, at which point I would assess what the response is and adjust medications as needed. And I would say to them, this is all you know, going well. Please come back in three or four days for another ultrasound. And they come back in three to four days for another ultrasound. And at that point, usually the eggs are ready to be collected. And so they get another injection, which is called the trigger injection, which essentially allows for the final maturation of the eggs because eggs live in little sort of bubbles called follicles, and they're usually attached to the wall. We give that final injection, so the egg undergoes final maturation, but also gets detached from the wall, from that wall and starts floating inside that follicle. And about 36 hours later, a woman would come into our day procedure center, our hospital, under light sedation. We would use transvaginal ultrasound and a big needle to collect the fluid from ovarian follicles. And that fluid goes to the lab, and scientists at the lab look at that fluid and try to find eggs. And interestingly, eggs are surrounded by all, all the other cells, and they're, they're quite big, so you can actually see it with the naked eye. Oh. You can actually see egg cells with the naked eye, but they're, they're small, and so they use microscopes, and so they would collect those eggs. Yeah. From the patient's point of view, that's the end of the cycle if you're doing egg freezing, because we've collected all the eggs, and now it all goes to the lab, and they go to work. They find the eggs, and they freeze them. Yeah. And then... They, in theory, eggs can be frozen indefinitely without losing their ability to produce a child. Because once eggs are frozen, they're frozen at such a state that all biological processes stop. Yep. So they're suspended in time, so to speak. It doesn't matter if it's two years, five years, 10 years, or 20 years, they can be stored. Now, there are legislative requirements and there are limits as to how long you can store your gametes. And in Victoria, and it's different from state to state in actual fact, uh, but in Victoria, you can only store gametes, eggs, sperm, or embryos for up to 10 years, after which time you need to get a special permission, which is usually given if, if asked for from the government to continue storing them. Yeah. But that's essentially how it works. Wow, that's incredible. It's really helpful to know that you do that score to kind of give people an idea of their chances of success with elective egg freezing before yes. they, I guess, invest all the money with the medications and that. So that's helpful yes. to know. Because, of course, as you can imagine, a lot of our patients, unfortunately, come to see us too late. Yeah. The best time to freeze eggs is somewhere in early 30s, maybe mid-30s. Uh, once you get over 40, the chances of getting a baby from those eggs is pretty slim. Yeah. It's not just the number, yeah. it's also the quality. Because in women's lives, best eggs are used first. Yeah. 
And I was going to ask you this later, but I suppose it's relevant now because somebody had asked, well, if my eggs are the best quality while I'm young, why don't I just freeze them when I'm in my early 20s if I know I'm not going to have kids for a long time? But you're saying there's limitations on how long you can keep keep them frozen anyway so this is this is a very interesting question and i think the reasons that we don't recommend everybody freezing their eggs in their early 20s is that the chances of them actually needing them are quite slim so most women who want to have children eventually will have children by themselves without our help and so if you freeze them there's been research on this very topic So what is the optimal time from a social point of view rather than medical point of view to to freeze eggs? And the answer is somewhere about 35. Interesting. Because if you do it when you're in your 20s, chances are you will find a partner and you will have a baby with with that partner. If you're 35 or around that age, uh, then your chance of actually having a spontaneous or natural pregnancy is is significantly less. And... One of the criticisms of egg freezing is, is exactly that. We use a lot of medicines, we freeze a lot of eggs, we do this for a lot of women, but only a very small proportion of those women will actually use them in the future. So it's variably estimated between 10 and 20% yeah. that will actually come back. Oh, wow. The others will either decide not to have a child of their own or will be in a relationship where they would have a pregnancy. And is that something you collect information on when it comes to I guess Absolutely. This is this is a this is a because it's this this technique or this phenomenon rather is new ish. Mm. There is a lot of research going on and we we are actively involved in 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 that research. Myself and our whole company, we collect these data and we also mm. work with other researchers like sociological researchers to look at First of all, why people decide to do what they do and mm-hmm. what is the motivation, how many come back, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is a very active area of research. We, we absolutely yeah. do quite a bit. Yeah, it's great. It was cer- certainly very interesting. I guess a common question again is for people who do decide they might want to go down this road, what kind of risks are associated with either, I guess, harvesting the eggs or going through that yeah. procedure of collection? Yeah. Well, I think I think it needs to be said that it's not a cheap exercise. Yeah. And so I do think that the biggest risk is financial loss. Mm. So you spend quite a bit of money on this and then you don't use it. Yeah. I, I think that is the most common scenario because so few women come back. There is a cost associated with freezing eggs and there is cost associated with storing eggs. So it's ongoing. Uh, From a medical point of view, it is actually quite safe. The the whole process is so streamlined because we do so many IVF cycle, and this is exactly the same as any other IVF cycle. So the chance of a major problem, major side effect that would require some sort of operation or stay in hospital or something along those lines is probably somewhere around 1 in 500 to 1 in 1,000. It's, it's really quite small, but there are certain risks. There is risk of infection. When you collect eggs, you can get a pelvic infection, which may, in fact, render you infertile in, in extreme cases. Mm-hmm. It's very unusual, but it does happen. Uh, there is risk of damage to the surrounding structures 
So the blood of the bowel, the blood vessels, they're all very close to the ovaries. So when you do an egg collection, there is that risk of damaging them. That happens very rarely, but it does happen. And there is a specific condition called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is unique to IVF, where you get really quite unwell from, from the actual cycle. And this can be avoided by careful monitoring and using various different drugs, but it cannot be completely eliminated. And occasionally women end up in hospital for weeks. Yeah. The chance in some, there are case reports of people even dying from it. So, so it's yeah. not, it's not something that we take lightly. We, we always try to avoid that particular complication, but there are certain medical risks. But I do think that they are pretty much the same as anybody else who is going through IVF for infertility reasons. Yeah. So the risks are, ex you know, exactly the same. The process is, is exactly the same. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. And you've kind of explained the procedure and it sounds pretty minimally invasive, really. Yes. Do people usually need to take significant amounts of time off work or anything no, like that? No. No. It's all the only, I mean, the only day off that one must take is the day of egg collection because there is sedation being used and so they can't go to work after that. But, you know, all the other appointments are really quite short. Uh, so you spend half an hour with your doctor. The ultrasounds are really quite quick, 10, 15 minutes. So all yeah. of these things can easily be done and are often done uh, and women continue to work full time. That's, that's not usually a problem. Okay, good to know. And another interesting question I got was for women who are going to freeze their eggs, how can they kind of optimize their egg quality before they do that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting and difficult question to answer. There is nothing really that is proven to improve the quality of eggs, but there are known things that we can do that are well recognized to improve the outcomes in IVF in particular. And so smoking is a no-no. Drinking too much alcohol, I mean, if you have a glass of champagne or a glass of wine once a week, twice a week, three times a week, it doesn't matter. But heavy drinking really affects sex quality. Using drugs, especially cocaine, is, is not something that would improve things. People underestimate is how important weight is. It is a difference between success and failure. So someone who has BMI that is within normal range, for example, would have about 30% chance, better chance of conceiving through IVF compared to someone who is significantly overweight. And so optimizing BMI before you undertake these, these, these treatments or procedures is, is very important. I would suggest that being on a multivitamin of some description is also quite useful. A lot of them have some antioxidants in them, which may improve the quality of eggs. That's unproven, but they're cheap, they're harmless. I think it's probably something that I would recommend to all patients who go through IVF to take multivitamins, and they could be pregnancy multivitamins or just general multivitamins. But I think the best thing you can do is optimize your diet, and optimize your weight yeah. and optimize your lifestyle. So exercise, things like that. That makes 
a significant impact. It's not nothing. It's actually quite big. Everything mm -hmm. else, people have tried a lot of various protocols and various compounds to try to improve quality of eggs in the setting of IVF. Nothing really is particularly effective. Okay. It's just those things, lifestyle yeah. interventions that may be of benefit, and I think they are. Everything yeah. else, you can take it or leave it. Yeah, and great for your general health anyway, I suppose, Indeed. all those things. That's good. Now, you've mentioned one of the main risks, I guess, of going through egg freezing is potentially the financial risks if you don't end up needing them or it doesn't work out for you. Could you give us a bit of an idea of how much it actually costs to go through this? Yes. So in Australia, IVF is subsidized by the government through Medicare system. And so if you are medically infertile, for example, someone is trying for a year, they can't get pregnant, they are considered medically infertile. So their cycle would attract a subsidy from Medicare. So Medicare would pay at least half of the cost. What's called social egg freezing or elective egg freezing is not medically indicated. And therefore, there is no funding for it from the government. And so the total cost has to be put on the woman who is freezing her eggs. And at the moment in, in Melbourne and Sydney, and the prices vary somewhat, uh, but you're looking for a cycle of IVF with all the drugs. Drugs are also subsidized for women who are medically infertile, but not for elective egg freezing. So patients have to pay for drugs as well. So everything is out of pocket. No insurance company actually covers elective egg freezing. It's a different story if it's pre-cancer treatment that it's paid for by the government. But if it's for social reasons, you're looking at somewhere between five and $8,000 to go through what I described as a cycle from day one to egg collection to egg freezing. And that's what it would cost. Now, we usually recommend to aim for somewhere between 10 and 20 eggs. And in some women, we can achieve that in one go. But in others, it takes more than one go. And every time you have a go, that's what the cost is, between five and $8,000. Wow. And then to store eggs, it's about, I, I think our company, Melbourne IVF, it's about $200 per six months. So it's about okay. three to $400 a year, I think to store them and that's ongoing you can always stop storing them for example you store them and then you get married and you have three children and you no longer want them you can stop and then there are options as to what actually happens to them yeah what are those options <laughs> well there are three options one is you would say look i don't want them anymore I would like them to be discarded, and they get discarded. A second option, which I think is much, much better, is to donate them to someone who needs them. There is a significant and ongoing shortage of donor eggs in Australia. It's very difficult to get egg donors, and there are lots of women who are waiting for, for donor eggs. So I would encourage everybody who can 
if, if they decide to freeze them and then they don't want them anymore, to consider donating their eggs to, to someone else. So that's the second option. And the third option, we use eggs for, for research and uh, for various improvements in the lab and training. And you can donate your eggs for that purpose. Right. But, but I would encourage people to think about donating to other people. I, I think yeah. that's, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. I guess it's great if you've had the opportunity to then fall pregnant and, yeah, do something with them other than, yeah, get that's rid right. of them. That's, that's yeah. an option. Now, an interesting question. I'm not sure if this is something you're asked about often, but someone was saying that they, you can often access superannuation to help pay for IVF. Is that true for elective or social egg freezing? It's, it's actually quite difficult to access superannuation for IVF. You have to have a statement from your doctor to say that you are in such psychological distress, bordering on psychiatric problem that you would require those money to continue treatment. I, 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 I think it's probably unlikely because there are very stringent rules about accessing your superannuation before your time. Uh, I think it's unlikely that elective egg freezing would qualify, but I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a specialist in that area. Yeah. My understanding is that it would be difficult, if not impossible to do. Yeah. And you kind of touched on this already in terms of how long people can keep their eggs in storage for, but say you freeze your eggs and want to use them 12 months later as compared to nine years later, is there any more, any difference in the success rate? Uh, well, not from an egg's point of view, but as women age, they may develop other medical conditions, thyroid dysfunction, diabetes, uh, become overweight, for example, and then the chances will be less. Yeah. From an egg's point of view, once it's frozen, it's completely biologically inactive, and therefore whether you use it now or in 10 years' time, uh, it shouldn't really matter, except, of course, to say that a good egg is just the beginning. You also need good sperm, you need good, for good fertilization, and you need optimal intrauterine environment to put that embryo in. And as women get older, you may not achieve those things, especially in terms of intrauterine environment. It may not be as good in an older woman as it is in a younger woman. We, we simply don't know. Generally speaking, an egg that is frozen is biologically inactive. So in theory, it can be stored indefinitely. Yeah. And so is there kind of a general number you put to the chance of somebody being able to have a baby from a frozen egg? Uh, it's, it's tricky for me to say because it depends very much on the age at which you freeze them. Uh, but I would say roughly, let's say a 35-year-old who is well, who has a good ovarian reserve, and if we were to freeze 20 eggs, I would estimate that she would probably have about 80 to 90% chance of having a baby from those eggs. 80 to 90? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow, that's really good. <laughs> I didn't but, realize it was that high. But you do have to remember that there is no guarantee you cannot rely on those eggs to produce a child for you. And so even though there might be lots of eggs frozen at a younger age, sometimes you thaw them and none of them survive. 
Sometimes you thaw them and none of them fertilize. Or they all fertilize, but none of them make it to be an embryo. So there are, you know, there is attrition at every step of the way. And that's why we need so many, because more you have, more likely you are to actually have a baby in the future. But there are no guarantees. And there have been instances in my practice where we had quite a few eggs frozen and they were thawed and none of them actually made it. Right. Mm, disappointing for people, I mm. guess. Yes. Another thing, just another concern somebody had was if you go through the process of harvesting eggs, is does it impact your fertility, like your your underlying fertility, if you then continue trying to have pregnancy in the meantime naturally? No. No. Because what happens in a natural cycle is that there is a cohort of eggs that gets recruited initially. And as the cycle progresses, one of those eggs becomes what's called the dominant follicle and continues to grow to be the one that will ovulate, while all the other smaller follicles just drop off. What IVF does, we rescue those follicles. We rescue the ones that would have just died. So we don't use up eggs when we, use, when we do IVF. We pick up eggs that would have been discarded anyway. Mm, and okay. so for that reason, it has no impact on future fertility. Okay, that's great. And I got, a, a, I guess, quite a specific question. Um, this woman asked, is it better to freeze eggs or embryos? Yeah. I'm 32 and married and my partner and I want kids, but not for another five years. Yes, there are two, there are two aspects to that, which, which are completely sort of unrelated. First of all, if you freeze embryos, an embryo has a much better chance of becoming a baby than an egg, of course, mm -hmm. because you lose eggs, some of them don't fertilize, some of them don't produce good embryos. So if you freeze embryos, you would have a much more realistic idea as to what your chances are. So 20 eggs in a younger woman may equal three, four, five good quality embryos. And if you freeze good quality embryos, every one of them would have about a 40% chance, 40 to 50% chance of becoming a baby. So it gives you a better idea. There are not as many unknowns, right? The downside of freezing embryos is that in Australia and in, in most other countries, continual consent of both parties is required. Mm. And so what that means is that if a couple freezes embryos and then they break up and the male says, I don't want those embryos to be used, I want them to be discarded, they have to be discarded. They cannot be used. And this is, this is actually a very clear, settled law. There were a number of instances where this happened. And it was taken to court, to the Supreme Court in Victoria, to High Court. Uh, it, it, there were cases in the United States as well. And in every single time, the, the courts and the law is very clear. Without continual consent from both parties, embryos cannot be used. So that is something that I would urge couples to consider because we've had situations where women were quite desperate to use their embryos. They were not going to make any more embryos, uh, but the partner said, well, ex-partner, 
said no, and we had no choice but to discard them. Oh. With eggs, because they belong to one person, it only requires consent of one person, the woman. And mm -hmm. so that is something to consider. And this mm -hmm. is why at Melbourne IVF we provide counseling for all women who undergo these procedures because they need to know these things. It's yeah. not counseling, counseling, how do you feel? It's more counseling, what would you do if this happened or that happened? Yeah. So they have a good understanding of what their options are and what That's those right. decisions mean. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's been really informative. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you would like to mention or anything else that you think people would find useful to know? I would like to conclude by saying that egg freezing is more of a financial decision rather than a medical one. And if you have the means and you feel that you should do it, you should probably speak with a fertility specialist. And don't leave it too late, is, is my advice to everyone, because we, we see a lot of women who come and see us in their 40s or late 30s where this is not going to help. Yeah. The best time is you know early to mid 30s, I think. And if you're concerned, you should speak with a fertility specialist Absolutely. because time is never on your side in, in, yes. in this. Very true. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, if it's all right, I might pop your, because you have an Instagram where you share lots of fertility and general health information. So I might just pop a link to that and your Facebook page as well. So of if course. people want to know more about this stuff, they can yeah. find you there. I, I will, of course, share this with, with my audience as well. Fabulous. Great. You to You, You to Me, You to Us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please, stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Podcast.